The Jesus Movement, Calvary Chapel, Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith, and Greg Laurie. These are just a few of the plot points in the recent Hollywood adaptation of The Jesus Movement. The Good Fight Radio Show. And on today's episode, in fact, a special live edition of the Good Fight Radio Show, we are going to be discussing a review of this film and a little bit of the Calvary Chapel movement as a whole. So with me, without any further ado, in our brand new Good Fight Ministries set is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, Brother Chad. Uh, looking forward to dealing with this subject. It's it's a kind of a gnarly subject, if I can say so. It's tangled, and there's some good things that came out, a lot of good things that came out of the Jesus movement, a lot of true born-again believers that went on to do ministry, missionary work, and so forth. There's also a lot of badness, a lot of ugliness, which we'll cover as well. Uh, and this is going to be quite quite a, a dig into this whole thing, and we're going to actually do more than one show on it because it is so heavy when you realize what's going on. And I just think it's great that we're able to get into this. And and uh, before we do, man, praise God for our new set. And thanks for all the people that have supported us. And we're able to get the, the word out and, and minister. And uh, this set is, I mean, this, we could never buy, we would never buy something like this. And Patreons, praise God for you guys. You've really supported us. And we've got the word to so many people. People, are, as you know, and that's why you support us. A lot of people are getting saved through this ministry. A lot of people are coming out of darkness to light. Uh, Chad, you just sent a text out to us where, guy's like man i was on the fence because i thought this all this stuff was conspiracy stuff and then he said then i saw that they're they don't rihanna and the super bowl he goes wow it's so clear now and the lord used that he said to bring his commitment back to him to the truth it was cool but the cool thing is is guys uh for instance this is a desk that we would never buy because it's like 11 grand but we we're given to it by a sweet brother for hardly anything compared to that we're like are you sure he's gonna i told the brother are you gonna give it away for that price and it was just awesome so, so Lord, and it happened at the exact right time. So we just praise God for that. And for all you guys' support, it's been been a blessing because we've got a pretty clean set and Jesus is still front and center. And uh, we're going to keep exalting him. Amen. And, you know, I, I do want to thank you guys for that. It, it is really exciting and uh, it's fun coming in here. It's been a lot of people working on it uh, that you guys don't get to see all the time. Um, you know, with Tommy and, and, and Josh and... And Doug and Tony even flew out here to be working on it as well as as well as our set designer uh, Jason and so forth. So we want to we're excited about that, and I and I wish we could do a whole episode just on thanking you guys so much for supporting the ministry as you have because it is a a real blessing to us. You Amen. guys are a blessing. Praise but God. Joe, we do have something important to talk about, and big, this big is time. one of those things when it comes to uh, what we just watched. As we talked about, we're going to be reviewing so. If you haven't seen the movie and plan on seeing it, I am going to leave that warning in the very beginning. Yes, we're going to spoil the whole thing for you and uh, through spoilers. Yes, we're going to tell you what the film was about and we're going to talk about different things that, you know, granted, I guess if you read history and stuff, you might find it or I guess other parts that weren't talked about. But nonetheless, we are going to dig into this subject because it is an important one and a lot of people are talking about it. In fact, it did really well in the box office. And so we're like, hey, man, it would be great, especially... With the new studio all set up, you know, praise God, we're finally able not to just do voiceover work or makeshift things, but we can sit down, talk about this thing together, because both you and I, and uh, I think everyone here at the Good Fight Ministry team, we've all watched it and wanted to make sure, hey, 
here's kind of what's going on in the film. And I think what we want to try to do is is kind of a threefold message here. And as you as you mentioned, uh, we're working on a series also. And sadly enough, there is a way that this is going to link up with the series that we have coming up dealing with what's called the New Apostolic Reformation or the NAR as it is called. And so we are going to be working on that and we're going to, this is actually kind of, I guess, springboarding uh, that a little bit. So not to give up, give away too much because we are going to deal with this in what we call the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Jesus Revolution film. So before we get into the bad and the ugly, Joe, let's start with the good. When you watch this film, you know, and and I know you were, you know, saved right around, you know, not long after this, you know, you know, a lot of the dates that are going on and, and so forth in the film a little bit after that. But, you know, when you look at this, and I'm sure there's a lot of emotions, you know, you're watching it, you're seeing, um, you know, people coming to Christ, getting baptized, whatever it may be. I think looking at this, Joe, what were some of the good things that when you turned on or when you saw this film, what were some of the good things that you saw? Well, it documents uh, many of the people in the, the Jesus Revolution, many of the, the uh, believers were sincere believers, and there was a strong emphasis on Jesus being the only way. Uh, I love that, especially in an age where we're dealing with syncretism and, and you know, uh, you know, you know, just the pluralism within spirituality, the new ageism, new, new spiritualism and all that, postmodernism. You have this emphasis that Jesus is the only way. Uh, and that just blessed my heart. I was like, well, be a lot of people seeing that he's, because right now, I mean, we just did a message. I just did a message last uh, Sunday. We went, we went through a little bit of Acts chapter 16, where a demon-possessed girl is following Paul and Silas. And, and she's saying they preach a way. Most of your translations say the way. She wasn't saying that. There's no the, no ho in the Greek, no definite article. She was just talking them up them preaching a way of righteousness. And that's the new age lie that demon-possessed people preach today, the fortune tellers, the mediums, and so forth. And uh, I don't want to go all into that, but it was just interesting that I was like so grateful. I was like, you know, praise God, a lot of these hippies who were into just, you know, coexist and, you know, whatever floats your boat spiritually came to realize it was a lie and that Christ was the only way. And I was very happy that, okay, good, they're emphasizing that part of the Jesus movement, that there was a lot of emphasis that it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, who died for our sins, and rose again. It's only through him that you can be saved. So I really appreciated that. And when I was young and I came on the heels of the Jesus uh, the Jesus movement in the 70s, I was born in 63 and I got saved in 81. But as a new believer, man, if you looked at my bumper stickers, everybody had bumper stickers back then, you know, you'd see a one-way sign. It was a cross with an arrow at the top pointing up to Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is the one way. Um, and on my old blue Jeep, I have a blue Jeep now too, but this was an old CJ5. And the other side, you'd see this 666 in red with a with a slash through it, or uh, I'm sorry, in black with a red slash through it, no 666, you know. Uh, and that was, but so it's kind of an interesting that I was I was grateful for that. That was something that I was happy to see. And uh, the word repentance was come up, even though it may not have been fully explained. I'm glad they used repentance and and that was important. Uh, scriptures like Matthew 12, 30, you know, he that's not with me is against me. He that doesn't gather with me scatters abroad. That first part of that verse was used. And I thought, okay, good. They're not trying to soft pedal uh, Jesus' call uh, to salvation. Uh, although there were some, you know, we'll get into it, some mixed things too that could also lead to misunderstandings, which we'll deal with later with regard to the bad. Uh, also, uh, I really like the fact that they were showing that at first I'm watching, okay, what are you guys doing? They were showing that the drugs, the free sex and all that led to just an absolute emptiness. Even the crisis of uh, the gal that ends up marrying Lori, uh, Kathy, 
uh, she ends up, you know, seeing her her sister almost die, and it mm-hmm. showed the end of drugs. I like the fact that it showed sin and what sin does and how destructive it is, and it showed the emptiness of the people that were in that movement and that it, it's a dead end road. And I was really appreciate that because there's a ton of people that will watch that that are in that boat. They're empty and uh, uh, and they need to know the true gospel that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins. That was that was huge. Yeah, and I I did like as you mentioned, you know, they even had the Timothy Leary and Janis Joplin and all that, and you know, right. right after the Janis Joplin scene, you see, like you said, you know, Kathy uh, Lori, who would eventually become Lori, uh, his his wife, his his eventual wife, her, her sister almost die in her own vomit, which fit the bill yeah. of. Janis Joplin, who she, right. they had just seen, absolutely, and, and it was like, wow! I was like, man, that that got me just thinking about just the you know Janis Joplin's end and how heartbreaking that is, and I was like, wow, that there it seemed like obviously it's done by Lionsgate, so Hollywood is you know doing the production, so the production value of this film is very high. I mean, a lot of the acting is at a high level. We'll talk a little bit where we disagree with some of the casting, but in terms of the acting itself, it seemed like they're very skillful actors in what they were doing. Um, but but yeah, the the hippie kind of movement and and we'll parse this out later. But Joe, I, I know that even yourself, when it comes to like the attire that people wear, and I and I watched a very conservative pastor have two totally different views depending upon when he was asked or who his audience yeah. was when he was asked those questions regarding you know the Calvary Chapel movement and so forth. But the idea that you know the changing of the attire, you know, you're getting out of the business suits and stuff. I know that that's something. Probably, you know, even in your own uh, ministry where your attire and how you dress specifically, uh, people have probably brought that up to you about, hey, man, maybe you should dress this way and, and stuff. And I, and I think the aspects of making sure we know where that lines up in terms of what actually matters is also important. Yeah, no, I, I, no doubt. I mean, yeah, when I was a young pastor, uh, the elders of our fellowship, uh, same same church now. Oh, no, there's my my mug back then. <laughs> Uh, they they said, hey man, uh, you know maybe you can wear a suit, you know, and uh, you, and as you're wearing, you know, you can put a tie on and stuff like that. And at an elders meeting, you know, not that all of them were saying that. That came up, and I said, hey, you know what? I don't feel like everybody needs to come to church. You know, can't remember exactly what I said, but I said that's really not me. I go, I'll wear a vest. You know, I wear a vest a lot. I could do that. I go, uh, you know, uh, and that what you're seeing there is rock and roll sources of the New Age Revolution before they sold their souls came out many years, millions before that. Uh, but uh, I, I had mentioned that you know that we I want this is who I am you know I'm not I'm not dressed in this suit all the time and stiff and everything else and not that it's bad to wear a suit I'm not saying anything against that it can be really nice at at a church and I, I'll wear a suit when I do a wedding or a funeral because uh, people you could stumble people too in certain things but guess what man can you imagine I mean the book of James don't put the poor guy in the back you know uh, and and the rich guy in the front the guy that's dressed all shabbily in the back. I know who you're talking about. It was it was John MacArthur who basically he was praising God for what was happening amongst the Calvary chapels and how he said people are genuinely he felt saved and following Christ and that they're not all worried about their attire. Then several years later he was upset that they weren't wearing ties and stuff. You know, I'm like, what in the world? You know, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be modest. He wasn't talking about modesty though. He's talking about you know really nice looking attire and stuff. And I was like, you know, we want to make sure we preach modesty and you know that that people are 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 not you know being immodest when they dress, but when they were first coming to Christ, these people were coming off the streets. Many of them lived on the streets. Can you imagine, James, James says, don't put the poor guy in the back. Can you imagine saying the poor guy, can't come, you can't come in because you don't even have shoes on. You can't come into this building. That was like the things of the Pharisees, you know? So I really, really appreciated uh, that 
that's the heart of God, man. That's the heart of Jesus. And that really blessed me because uh, when Jesus reached out to the tax gatherers, reached out to the drunkards, reached out to the prostitutes with the gospel, he didn't say, come as you are and stay as you are, but he said, come to me. And then he would transform them. And that's one of the things I really loved about the, uh, what happened during the Jesus Revolution. I have some serious problems about the movie, which we're going to talk about, because there's a bigger picture that 99% of Christians or more are, are missing. And we're going to get into that later. Uh, and some of that in this show, we have to do more than one show on this, because we're going to go in, it, it segues to the NAR movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, Kingdom, Dominion, and the false signs and wonders, the whole Antichrist system, that, that some of the Jesus Revolution, the bad stuff, you know, we get to the bad or the ugly, pushes that, you know, ultimately. But I just want to encourage you guys to, uh, that in the movie, if, if somebody sees that, a non-believer sees that, I like the fact that it showed transformation, what Jesus does, because he doesn't leave us in our sins, he transforms us. And you have this guy that's wheeled in, in a wheelchair, and he is just, you know, decrepit, ready to die. He, wants, he thinks he's going to die, and, and then a number of people pray for him. Then later in the movie, you see that this guy is like passing out tracks or, and, uh, and just excited about Jesus and talking about how he got off his drugs through the power of Christ, you know. And I was like, praise God, that's good. So there was, that was a good thing. I like the fact that Chuck Smith in the movie, uh, you know, basically he's preaching the word and Lonnie Frisbee who figures in, and, and this, this is not a good guy. And you're going to see later why Ch Chad and I are under conviction that this guy was never uh, being used by the Holy Spirit. He was not a Christian. He was involved in a lot of wickedness prior to and during a lot of his ministry, unrepentant wickedness. And uh, he was under a different spirit. We're going to show he was even in the witchcraft while he was claiming to be a Christian. Uh, this, I'm still in some of the thunder from later shows, but I want to show you why we take the stand that's important. But uh, he was trying to, when Chuck Smith was preaching and it was growing so much, uh, for many of the people that he brought in, he was trying to do this whole signs and wonders thing, and Chuck Smith basically chasing him, and, and basically, uh, and so I like the fact that the charismania, that's one of the good things about it, is Chuck said, no, hey, this isn't supposed to happen right now, because everything's to be done decently in order, right? And he got upset with Chuck, and eventually he ends up leaving, and that goes into what later happens, which we're going to get into later. But I really appreciate it, because Chuck later wrote a book that I, as a new Christian, I read two books early on about the gifts of the Spirit because I didn't know any Christians. I'm just reading the Bible and I am and I was delivered from the power of the enemy when I cried out to Jesus. I knew Jesus had power, man, because the, the Lord broke the power of the enemy in my life right when I cried out to him. Didn't know any Christians. I began reading the Bible and I was seeing that God's power continues to be displayed even in the tribulation period where the, where the two witnesses prophesy for 1260 days where Jesus says in Mark 13, don't premeditate what you're going to say during the tribulation period because when you're brought before kings, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance where there'll be signs in the, in the sun and the moon and the stars and there'll be pillars of smoke and, and so forth in the end times and the Lord will use uh, his people. It talks about that in Acts 2, Joel 2. And so when I got, the, I got two books, one was called The Charismatics by John MacArthur, who's a cessationist who believed that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And as I read through that book, I could, I'm like, wow, I don't even know, didn't even realize. I just saw the others back, back then when they had like Christian bookstores, you know, when everybody wasn't going to, you know, to uh, uh, online to Amazon. And I'm reading that book and I had that so marked up. Even as a young Christian, I'm like, he's not given one scripture that shows that the gifts have ceased. And I know there's several that say that God will still use his people. Then I got, I also found right around the same time a book I saw in the bookstore, Charisma versus Charismania by Chuck Smith. And in that book, it was very balanced approach to the gifts of the Spirit. It emphasized the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God, and testing uh, aberrant, uh, testing things and making sure they're not ab aberrant. And see, and, and that's the thing is there's two, and we've always emphasized in our ministry, 
We've seen God work by his grace, supernaturally, miraculously in our ministry in a myriad of ways. I mean, we, we could write a book on it. We've seen the hand of God. Uh, God's used dreams, all kinds of really cool things. But also we see the aberrations, you know, uh, the false prophecies that people give and that they don't test everything. So on one hand, you have the charismania, which Chuck Smith checked. And he's, you know, uh, where they don't, the Bible says, yeah, it says don't despise prophesying, but it says, you know, test everything right in that same context and hold fast that which is good. And within a lot of the vineyard movement, oh, and Bethel and all these supposed revivals, by the way, which Lonnie Frisbee ended up spawning, which is in the movie. It's quite interesting, Chad, because within this, you see uh, there's scriptures saying test everything. But at the same time, there's people writing off everything that happened in the Jesus revolution because of the gifts of the Spirit. People believe in the gifts of the Spirit, you know, as though everybody operated them in the wrong way, which is wrong as well. Because if we, I go to John MacArthur's church, he's going to disobey a lot of scripture. It says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He would forbid any of speaking in tongues. And I know we wouldn't allow that unless there's an interpretation, because that's what the Bible says. Now they just totally ignore that there needs to be an interpreter and then there needs to be testing. It says despise not prophesying. They would not allow any kind of prophesying. It says uh, to, it says in, in, in the scripture, uh, not only despise not prophesying, it says quench not the spirit. It's context of, in the context of not despising prophesying. Uh, we have to quench the spirit. And even anointing with oil. You can't do that in a cessation, some of the cessationist church, like John MacArthur's church. They wouldn't allow anointing of oil. Well, that's, what do you mean? That's in James chapter 5. Lifting hands and singing praise songs, which is throughout the book of Psalms. No, that's not right in our church. And so you get uh, you, you get people haywire, and that's you know, going the wrong extreme that way. But you have another extreme, which to me is far more dangerous, by the way. And that's charismania, where there's false signs and wonders, and any kind of supernatural thing that happens must be from God. And people get led away from the word of truth. So I really love the fact that Chuck said to Lonnie, stop, no, you can't do this. And then after that, there was a bit of a rift. And we don't want to go too deep into what happened after that because that's that's the next show when we'll be looking at Lonnie Frisbee and the false prophet of the Jesus Revolution. That's going to be pretty heavy. But I really praise God that that showed that there was some balance with regard to what Chuck was doing. Not endorsing the movie at all because I have some really big struggles too, but that I, I said praise God for that. At the same time, I think that Chuck should have been personally a little bit stricter because he ends up bringing Lonnie back later. And we'll talk about that in the next show. Yeah, um, yeah, you got a lot of that bad before you finish the good, but that's it's tough because you want to get into these things because they are very important, and you yeah, don't want to give someone the slide. Yeah, you don't want to give someone the slide and just go by and throw it out, and, and people go, "Oh, great, it's a great movie," and and yeah. only turn this on for two minutes. So I, I definitely understand. Um, and so when you look at these things, Joe, and, and we do see it, and we're gonna have those conversations with people that that see this, hopefully. Lord, please, uh, that we'll be able to have those conversations. It's something we've talked about a lot when it comes to these things. But when somebody that maybe a, a friend takes them, like, we're going to share the gospel by taking them to see Jesus' revolution. And they go to see this movie, and now they're going to have questions. Is there something that, hey, maybe from this movie they saw something that maybe will help, you know, the believers to maybe then make disciples out of people that maybe go and see this film? Yeah, and I think probably this show is going to be very helpful because of the stuff that we cover that's the good and the bad and, and, and the ugly because we're trying to parse it. I've cried out to God over and over again uh, before this show, before this series, numerous times because it's hard to parse. A lot of times things are pretty easy to discern, right, through Scripture if you're in the Word and you're growing in the Word and so forth, that, Lord, this is a really hard one to parse and I don't want to get it wrong, but I see some glaring evil going on in the Jesus Revolution 
but I see a lot of good. I see your spirit working. I see people being drawn to Christ. I see that there's a ton of missionaries on the mission field and people whose hearts were truly transformed and fell in love with Jesus who are people of the word and aren't into false signs and wonders, but at the same time believe that, that God is God is alive today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I see that, Chad. So I think as we go through this list of what is good and, and, and what's bad, I think there's other good things I'd like to mention uh, is the fact that uh, God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only God's son. I, I love the fact that the movie emphasizes is that anybody could be saved who would come to him. Because mm. right now you have some isms out there where they say, oh, Jesus only died for a few people. And it becomes this very smug elitism to where people look down on the people that they're maybe not even the elect. Most people wouldn't be, be, be even, you know, poss- could possibly be saved in that viewpoint because Jesus only died supposedly for the elect in, in, reformed theolo- in some reformed theology. So I praise God that uh, that that movie demonstrates that Jesus came to die and to save those in, in to the uttermost and the guttermost, no matter how bad a person was, that Jesus came, he loved that person too, that he so loved the world. Uh, in fact, Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, you know, and it says he looked upon him and loved him, but the rich young ruler rejected Jesus and his love. It didn't mean he didn't love him. So I praise God that that uh, it, we, we see that God is not partial and he wants all to come to him. And I thought that was really, really, uh, really, really important. So I think it's important uh, that that we that we don't just say, "Oh, you know, no, no one got saved during that time." That would be ridiculous. There's all kinds of people that love Jesus that got saved as a result of the Jesus Revolution. It's and we got to keep in mind that what happened is a is part of the Jesus Revolution in California and extended further, but it was already going on long before Lonnie Frisbee walked into Chuck Smith's church. There were all kinds of people getting saved, right? But, uh, and I really believe that the enemy, and it's going to get too complex to get into it, and we're going to get into it, though, because it's, it's very understandable once you really look at it. But what that dynamic that happened there with Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck, I think because Chuck was, thank God, conservative enough to realize this is going beyond Scripture, and he checked it, and I don't want to get all into it, but there's something really radical going on with this tension. And what Satan meant for evil, I feel God used, worked for good with a lot of the Calvary Chapel movement. Not, we're not endorsing everything in the Calvary Chapel movement either. And, and uh, then <laughs> uh, he moved on, and something else radical happened with, through Frisbee, which sets up the whole NAR movement, which is why you want to make sure, even more importantly than this one perhaps, it, are the next shows that we, we're getting all this with Lonnie and so forth. Yeah, and and I guess that's going to segue us into the portions that we have to look at in the film as well that we said, hey, this isn't so good. In fact, uh, if we've gone through the good things, and as Joe mentioned, there might be things as well mentioned throughout that are also um, things that, oh, yeah, I like this, but I wish this would have been said as well. But now, Joe, looking at, at some of the bad things now, and... I'll, I'll say this, you know, just from a viewership standpoint, uh, the fact that a 68-year-old man was, char- 68-year-old man in Kelsey Grammer, who in previous roles, and I think a lot of in this role, seems quite like a cynical person almost, and kind of a sad, more, you know, lowered countenance than your typical, uh, I guess, anything I've ever heard, read, or seen of concerning Chuck Smith. So I did think it was kind of weird just having somebody in Kelsey Grammer be Chuck Smith and having such an old man play someone who was in his early 40s or not even mid, maybe mid 40s at the time as most of this stuff was going on. And yet he looked like an elderly man the entire time. Yeah, he looked elderly. They made him, I believe, overly rigid and harsh even at times. Uh, And uh, I 
talked over the pre-trib bracket with, with Chuck in Israel on an Israel trip at, at a table at a buffet. We got into it for quite a bit of time. And Chuck, even then, you know, we agreed to disagree. We were, uh, he's very, very gracious man. I'm not, you know, not, no one's perfect, but Chuck is a very joyful, you know, jolly kind of guy who just, you know, love the Lord, love people. And that it's hard to cast. Let's, let's admit that it'd be hard to cast <laughs> Chuck, you know, uh, because, you know, he just, uh, there's a sweetness about him that is hard to capture in an actor that's literally pretty much known uh, and cast for being sarcastic and everything else, right? So uh, I understand that. It's probably hard to cast. So I'm, and yeah, Chad, that, I mean, Chuck was 40 years old, uh, around 40 when this went down, and, and they make him look like a great-grandpa, you know, in, in the movie. So it's, that's, that's unfortunate to a degree as far as, you know, if you're talking about casting, uh, so that's, that's important. But there's some definitely some bad things we need to talk about associated with the movement, and then some things, some of the, uh, we count many of the people in Calvary Chapel are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's some really great Calvary chapels. There's, uh, uh, I believe, although we disagree with, like, say, for instance, pre-tribulationism, which we believe is, is kind of an escape mentality from the suffering that Jesus warned us about. Uh, we believe that that's an in-house debate and that we need to talk about it as a family. But there's many Calvary Chapel pastors that, you know, sometimes people, and we got to be careful, they just write them off. Oh, well, guess what? This was wrong in the movement over there. And this was, therefore, there's no Calvary Chapel that's good, you know? And then you also have got to be careful, too, that we don't just say, when I was a younger pastor, I could tell people when they're moving to another town because a lot of the churches were just not teaching the word. But I could tell them, hey, you know what? Consider going. They say, hey, Joe, I don't can't find a church. I go, hey, check out a Calvary Chapel, you know? I go, you know where we disagree biblically with them? But at least they're preaching the word, and a lot of them love Jesus. And and why don't you check out a Calvary Chapel in your in your area because you may find a solid church. Uh, and, and so not it wasn't you know it's not like McDonald's. Every McDonald's is the same. Not every Calvary Chapel was the same. So we don't want to broad brush the movement either. We have got to be careful of that. But there are some concerns within what some of the leading Calvary Chapel churches pastors are teaching, which do need to be addressed under the bat because this whole sh- the, the movie highlighted more than anybody else, even more than Jesus, was Greg Laurie. Yeah, that's that was one of my big takeaways from watching the film were the two different, I guess three people really, but the the three different uh, two main storylines, but two people that it seemed to uh, have at the forefront are Lonnie Frisbee and Greg Laurie and Kathy Laurie, and it's their love story. And I know it's Hollywood, so I expect love stories to be at the forefront, but but still, that seemed to be more of the film than just about anything anything else uh i mean chuck smith in all honesty in the film uh seemed more like a side character i know people are pointing out that uh that jonathan rumi who played him and we'll we'll definitely discuss him a little bit more later oh don't worry we're gonna deal with the bad yeah but we're dealing uh, with it now right actually but uh but jonathan rumi himself is playing a 19 year old at the age of 47 yeah they got it all backwards so it seems weird but when you see the spiritual nature of how jonathan rumi you know really considered this role when we get to that later You guys will see the kind of weirdness there. Uh, not that anybody who knows anything about Jonathan Rumi knows about his mysticism, but um, but when we look at that, just that was very strange to me, you know, because it did seem like you know it's going to be about the Jesus movement, Jesus revolution. I thought, without a doubt, it'd be less of a love story between Kathy and Greg. And I guess you know these are, this is probably his money, so I, I guess a lot of the money there for coming from uh, them and, and getting together with Lionsgate and all that stuff. So I guess if he wants to tell his love story, you know, tell his love story. But it did seem to me like most of the story 
was less about Calvary Chapel, less about the Jesus movement, and more ultimately about John, Lonnie Frisbee and uh, Greg and Kathy Laurie's love story. That's right. Yeah, and that, that, that was, you wish it would have been more about a love story with people that came to Christ and Jesus, you know? That's what uh, I would have wished. But, amen. But, and I'm not, don't know how much control they had over that, the storyline. Uh, but that was, that was, that was one of the sad things. Yeah. That was discipleship, you know? Yeah, that was probably the, one of the main things. And, and Joe, and, and this one probably is the one that's, I guess, most frustrating, um, you could say. And one, one thing I'll, I'll throw out that, that coincides with, with some of this is they played a clip, uh, in the background, more or less. You don't really know the context. And I've asked, now, everyone else who saw it, because I said, hey, I felt this way. I don't know if you feel this way. Because they played a clip in the background uh, during during the episode, or during the, during the show, during the movie, sorry. During the movie, they played this clip in the background. And the clip is actually a clip from a debate that took place with Dave Wilkerson and a, a number of hip, hippies from Haight-Ashbury. Dave Wilkerson was a fiery Pentecostal preacher who led a ton of people to Christ. This, even before that, the 50s with the cross and switchblade. Vicky Cruz and all that. No, know? yeah, one hundred percent. And and he's debating them, and it's almost in the context where you would think that that debate is taking place, but the debate is whether or not to allow hippies in the church. That's what I got in terms of my own feel. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm telling you, that's what I felt. But they made then, it look like that. You're saying they made it look it like had that. Something altogether different was going on. But when I went and watched that debate with David Wilkerson debating and like three hippies, or four hippies, right? And they at were a getting upset at a coffee shop at a common in the Nevada, coffee shop. Yeah. And when he's debating them, he's debating them because they're saying that they're finding God while using LSD. That God told them to smoke pot, and, and they're he, still doing LSD and reading the Bible, and and that's a heavy drug. I was on it for a Christian. It opens you to demons, guys. And and so you have this going on, and I'm like. This film is a, I thought it was a dishonest take in what happened with Rich Wilkerson, or not Rich Wilkerson, sorry, Dave, uh, yeah. with Dave Wilkerson. And I thought, man, that is really seems like a dishonest way of portraying what was being debated there. And what made me really concerned is some of the views that Greg has concerning discipleship that you're going to talk about, especially because Joe and I know I've been working on a book on discipleship. It's one of my favorite topics. It's a, I was discipled here at Blessed Hope Chapel by Joe taking me out sharing the gospel. It's one of my favorite ways to help disciple young men. Amen. And so I've been trying to you know put to get put together a book on it. I won't give away the title, but I'm just close to finishing it. Well, uh, but, praise, but God. praise God and discipleship is one of my favorite topics to discuss because it is so important and so lacking in so much of the church, and it hurts my heart when people try to separate it from salvation and not realize how important it is. Uh, and and Joe, I know that Greg's views might have played a factor in this, and that might have been, at least for yourself, knowing some of Greg's views, Greg Glory, that is, his views on discipleship, knowing that he's so integral in this film, uh, I think that maybe it might even be easier to see those things from those lenses, knowing what some of his doctrines are. Yeah, we're going to actually see a couple clips because I've warned people before because long ago when the little thing that one of the things that Chuck or Greg puts out at the Harvest Festivals or he makes available to people talks about how there's a difference between receiving Jesus as a gift and you can receive Jesus as a gift, but you don't have to really be a disciple. That's optional. Well, that's not biblical. Where do you see Jesus saying you don't have to really follow me? You don't see that in scripture. And I, I was like, wow, he actually makes it. He made a point of that. And that always just broke my heart. I was like, wow. How many people are you just saying, hey, just receive Jesus as, as your Savior, you know, but you don't have to really follow him as a, as a disciple. He doesn't really have to be Lord of your life. 
And I thought, wow, that's and that's a false gospel that some of the false teachers out of Dallas Theological Seminary were teaching. Not all every Dallas Theological Seminary professor taught that, but Zane Hodges and others that in the so-called you know free grace movement were were basically saying you can accept Jesus as your savior, but you can reject him as Lord. You know, and I thought, wow, that's what you know. Uh, that's been a battle in the church for a lot of, long time. That that viewpoint's new to the church, and it was just crazy because I was driving on the road. About a month and a half ago, two months ago, I turned on Christian radio as I'm driving, and and wow, oh, Greg Laurie's on, and guess what he's talking about? He's talking about you don't have to be a uh, disciple. Uh, you can just receive Jesus as a gift. But yeah, you should become a disciple, but you don't have to. And just receive the gift of salvation. I'm like, Greg, are you trying to make it easy to get more people up to come up in these crusades? Mm-hmm. You know, or I don't know what your motives are. I go, but that's a serious false teaching because that will leave a lot of people dead in their sins who refuse to quit being you know, fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals, because guess what? I'm just accepting Jesus as a gift, but I don't actually have to follow him and actually uh, be have my life transformed where I'm no longer doing these things. And that's sad because 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10 says, don't be deceived. It says, know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators or adulterers or effeminate or homosexuals, revilers, drunkards, extortioners, and so forth. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, it says. And over and over again, Paul says, be not deceived on that issue. Let no one deceive you by any means. He says, those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of Christ. I mean, and that's in Ephesians 5, also Galatians 5, know for certain. Uh, same, same thing, those who walk according to the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says also in, in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, be not deceived, God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction, but he that sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we continue. And so when he preaches this way, I'm like, man, uh, and, and what the sad thing is, a lot of the hippies were not truly repenting. A lot of the hippies that thought they were following Christ or claimed to have Jesus were being told. Uh, well, well, a lot of them were still, in fact, it's kind of interesting because, Chad, you brought up Nevada, what was going on when Wilkerson was telling these guys they need to repent and turn from these things. Uh, and there, he is projected in the film as maybe he's just too hardcore, but actually he's letting them know they need to repent uh, and actually follow Christ's disciples. Uh, and he's saying, you guys have told me that you're doing LSD still and smoking pot and everything else. And at one point, uh, he says, are you having free sex too? Free love, supposedly? And they got all freaked out on that and upset that he mentioned that and uh, brought that up. But Lonnie Frisbee, who's the main guy in the movie, along with Greg Laurie, he's one of the guys that lived at that commune. And he was actually claiming to be a follower of Christ, witnessing to people on the streets, but still doing LSD. In fact, we're going to show a clip next week where Lonnie's like, you know, a gal saying, yeah, Lonnie brought us up to the, in this Pirate's Cove area and the highest place. And, and, and wow, we were all stoned in LSD. And he drew this big picture mural of uh, of Jesus. And then we went down and he baptized us and he was on LSD. We're all stoned. It's like, there's got to be repentance, you know? And uh, and the, the, the crazy thing is, and this is what we're going to see in this clip, Chad, is you're going to see, uh, first you're going to see Greg Laurie correctly uh, saying that to be a disciple, you know, Jesus is first in your life. You know, you got to love Jesus first more than everything else. That's true. You're going to hear him say that a disciple bears fruit. That's true. But the problem is, you're going to hear him say after that, that you don't really have to be a disciple. That's optional. Not every Christian is a disciple. Not every disciple is a Christian. And you can go on to be a disciple, but you don't have to. In other words, you don't really have to have fruit in your life and become a disciple and love Jesus first. Well, Jesus said that we would have no part of him. Uh, he, he, if we if we don't love him more than mother and father and sister and brother, Jesus says, think not that I've come to the world, in this Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36, uh, to, to bring peace, but a sword, and man's foes shall be they of his own household, and mother will be against daughter, and mother against daughter-in-law. And he said that if we do not love him more than everybody else, we are not worthy of him. And to say that that's optional, 
is a travesty. And that means there's a lot of people going to churches thinking that they're saved because they went up at some altar call and accepted a gift, but are refusing to turn from being drunkards, from being abusers, from being hateful, from being unforgiving and all these things. And we're going to see this clip. And the reason I'm letting you know a little bit about what this clip's about ahead of time is because you'll also see him at the end. You wouldn't catch if you don't listen very well. But after he says it's optional, then he's going to say, hey, we want to say a prayer. But he goes, we're going to pray first to those who want to receive the gift of salvation. And then he says, and then for those who want to go on to be disciples, as though it's two different things. And that's really, really heartbreaking because that's going to leave a lot of people in their sins. Number one, if you want to be his disciple, you must love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. You must love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. A disciple will bring forth spiritual fruit. Now this is not here in Luke 14. This is in John 15, where Jesus says in John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. If you are really a disciple of Jesus, you'll have fruit in your life. While it is true that not every Christian that makes a profession of faith is a Christian, it is equally true that not every Christian is a disciple. Write this down. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is necessarily a disciple. Think about that. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is necessarily a disciple. They're actually not interchangeable words. There's a distinction. And as I pointed out, all disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are necessarily disciples. And I ask in closing, do you have that hope right now that when you die, you'll go to heaven? God offers you a gift. You say, well, how do I receive a gift? Well, how do you receive any gift? You reach out and you say, thank you, and you open it. Then I would like to pray and give you an opportunity to do that, and then pray for all of you that want to be disciples. Now, Joe, when, when I'm hearing that, I mean, first of all, it is so frustrating for him to just make that blanket statement that, oh, well, you know, and he, and he says it so slowly and make sure you know very clearly that not every Christian actually needs to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you actually read, just read through the book of Acts. Just read through the yeah. book of Acts. If I just said, read through the book of Acts and show me where there's this distinction that he is making yeah. in the book of Acts when they make disciples. I, I don't see it and try to read 1 John and get through 1 John oh, yeah. and see a distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil. You don't see children of God and the disciples are like this, but sometimes the children of God also act like the children of the devil. It's not a distinction that is made, and it's totally bogus, and it's found nowhere in Scripture. And that prayer, and we talked about this right before production today, right before we sat down in the new studio, and we, we were talking about it, and I'm like, it's so frustrating because you got to wonder about these altar calls. And it's like, hey, if you if this is the first time receiving Christ, you might have a small group of people. But then if you add this other, you know, this extra little bit and you go, oh, well, if this is your first time receiving Christ or if you just need, and, and I've seen it, I've heard it in my yeah. own ears. I'm not saying Greg's the one who said this, but that one sounds like it, but yeah. I've heard it in my own ears. Or if you just need prayer right now, or if, and if you've been struggling lately, or if you want to take your next step in your walk with Christ, and then all of a sudden there's 200 people there and like, oh, 200 people came to Christ, came up yeah. to receive the Lord. And you're like, oh, there's like five people up there, man. Yeah. And all of a sudden you gave these other parameters. And those parameters, by the way, they're not 
Forget splitting hairs. This is just splitting up people. And in all honesty, the only split we see is sheep and goats. Yeah, amen. In fact, you mentioned First John, Chad, uh, Chad and in First John 1 or 2, 4, you know, it says it, it's very clear that if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. We're saying we know the Lord, right? We have, we have fellowship, yet we walk in darkness. We lie. We do not practice the truth. And First John 1, 7 says if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. And we have fellowship with him. Amen. And with one another. Uh, and in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, He that practices sin, like you're in rebellion to God, you're practicing sin, is of the devil. It says it just point blank. And Chad, that's right before uh, it says, he that, Then verse 8 says, He that's born of God does not practice sin. Now, a true believer can lapse in and fall, but he's backslidden at that point. He needs to get right with God. And uh, we shouldn't be in a life of rebellion against God and saying that we're born again. And then it's the First John 3.10, Chad, which you just mentioned, where it says that in this, the children of God are manifest the children of the devil. It says he that, you know, he that's born of God. It talks about the children of God. They practice righteousness. The children of the devil practice sin. So uh, the scripture is real clear on this subject. Uh, and, and right now, and some of you may be listening and say, oh, well, that's not what I was taught. Well, I'm quoting scripture here, guys. And, and there's, you know, the scriptures are very, very clear. It's not like, Chad, you know, you're, you're, as you said, you're working on a book on discipleship. And that's the heartbeat of this fellowship is to, I mean, that's why our message is on Sunday, man. You come in there. We're not easy believers, man. You come in a message. You're going to hear an hour plus message typically. And because we're not about getting all kinds of people here because we want to swell the seats. We want truth, man. And it's, it's a trip because when you look at the scriptures, they're so clear on this. And Jesus didn't say, you know, go into all the world and, and preach the gospel and hopefully people will accept Christ, but don't but tell them they don't need to become disciples so it's, so more people can get saved. He didn't say that. He says, go into the world, preach the gospel to all the nations, make you disciples of all the nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. What I've told you guys to do and follow me, you need to teach them that as well. And, well, you can be a Christian. You don't really have to, you know, be a disciple. No, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone, anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And some of the things that happened out of the Jesus movement, uh, many of them didn't feel that they really needed to be disciples and follow Christ. And they just said their flower children are still sleeping with their, their, their girlfriend or they're sleeping with another guy, homosexuality, doing the drugs and, 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 and listening to Black Sabbath and everything. But guess what? I'm also a Jesus. I'm also in a Jesus. And they were lost. They needed to be taught that. By the way, I will say though, praise God, uh, uh, a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors do preach that you need to be a disciple. They don't all fall yeah. for that. So again, I don't want you guys to paint with a broad brush. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be right. That would be unfair balances before the Lord. So I will say this, Chad, is that the Bible says pursue holiness. For without holiness, it says pursue peace and holiness in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that's a pursuit of holiness. That means you're seeking Jesus. That means the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, faith works through love. So true faith leans into Jesus and loves him. And by the way, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And uh, and the Bible says, this is the love of God, that First John chapter 5, that we keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. When we're walking in faith and we love Jesus, we want to obey him. And now if we're struggling to obey him, we got to say, hey, Lord, help me to be convicted about my sin and, and love you more and see what you've done for me and help give me the strength to obey you. But guess what? You're at least praying that prayer and allowing the Lord to change you. And you may be a weak disciple, a babe in Christ that needs to grow, or a very strong disciple or somewhere in between. But if you're a true Christian, you're a disciple. Where disciple means learner. It's one who is, is looking to Jesus and learning from him. But if you're not in the Word, you want nothing to do with Jesus, and you're saying, but I'm a Christian, you're not a Christian, man. And I let you know that because... We love you, you need to get right. So that's one of the big problems I have with, uh, I mean, I left the Calvary Chapel years ago before we started Blessed Hope Chapel. 
And I was in that Calvary Chapel for some time. And my wife was saying, Joe, you know, I don't know. I don't think I want to go here, but wherever you want to go, because we're trying to find a church. It was very difficult, you know. Uh, And we left Simi Valley, would drive to this church because at least I knew at Calvary's went through the word verse by verse. But this particular pastor, it just broke our hearts. And she said, I'm just not convicted, you know. I just, I don't get convicted and stuff when he preaches and there's never any warnings and so forth. And I was like, well, why do you need to be convicted about, you know, playing with her? I go, but I know what you're saying, baby. I go, you know, let's give us some time. We haven't been going that long. We're going for a little while, though. And then we're in Luke chapter 17. And this is not all Calvary chapels. Praise God. There's Calvary chapels. There's guys, you know, I can mention some names, but they may have gone off the rails recently. We haven't seen, so I want to be very careful. <laughs> where they preach the Word of God strong. And they talk about you got to make sure you're truly following Jesus if, and really truly be a disciple. They'll say that. Well, this was the opposite. And... And I was like, oh, Lord, we finally found a church where they're actually going through the Bible, you know? And then I'm listening, and I'm like, and I point, I go, because he's in Luke 17. I go, hey, baby, check it out, Luke 17. I'm next, I go, look at this. I point at the verse, and, it, and it's where Jesus talked about Lot and Lot's wife and, and remember Lot's wife. Three words in the verse, English, remember Lot's wife. I go, praise God. You know, hopefully he'll talk about this. I was basically insinuating, hey, praise God, he'll warn you here, hopefully. You know, not that she needed those warnings, but I knew what she wanted because I was saying the same thing, that a lot of the church was just so lax when it came to living for the Lord. And then we got to remember Lot's wife. He read the verse. He never mentioned what Lot's wife did, never mentioned her judgment. Instead, he turned around and said, Lot was a wicked man. He was an evil guy. He he was unrighteous. And I'm like, what? You know, righteous Second lot, Peter yeah. calls him righteous <laughs> Lot. You know, and it mentions a, a few times that he was righteous. So, I was like, oh, Lord. He goes in. And this is a picture of how a type that even if you're living a wicked life, you know, you'll still go out in the pre-trib rapture. God will rapture you even if you're carnal, you know, and living a wicked life. And I'm like, oh, Lord, God. First of all, it's not a picture of living a wicked life. A lot made a mistake in the sense when he's trying to deal with the the, the homosexuals that were trying to take the, uh, the angels and have sexual relations with them. And Lot blew it there because in haste he blew it. We're not exonerating that, but he was truly a righteous man and he was trying to guard their very lives. And I thought, wow. And then he just let everybody know, guess what? Even if you're living a wicked life, you're still going to inherit God's kingdom, which is exactly what Paul said not to be deceived about. And then he turned into a preacher of rapture saying, Lord, I'll take you out. And I thought, man, he didn't take him out seven years before Sodom was destroyed. It says, Jesus said in Luke 17, on the same day that Lot was taken out of of Sodom, God rained fire and brimstone upon them and destroyed them. That's a picture of the second coming, God taking us out after the tribulation, by the way. So, uh, and you know, I knew he was pre-trib already. And I was like, oh, Lord God, though, now this is coming to just full-blown license. And I talked to him after the, after the service. And I said, hey, I was hoping when, when you got to Lot's wife, he'd warn the flock. And he said, he told me, he goes, Joe, he goes, he goes, I can't do that. That'll offend a lot of people. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here, man. I mean, I love this guy. I'm going to pray for him. But, uh, you know, we had left not long after that. And I was like, just heartbreaking. So that can happen in a lot of denominations and a lot of, you know, a lot of movements where you have different people. So again, you don't want to go with a broad brush, uh, you know. Uh, so I, that's, it's really heartbreaking. The doctrine of separation and sanctification you don't see strong with a lot of Calvary chapels. I mean, even we just did a show with regarding Greg Laurie's book on exalting a lot of the music of the world system. Uh, he has he, he Greg Laurie is a big old Beatle poster behind him, and uh, John Lennon said the whole Beatle philosophy, quoting Lester Crowley, the Satanist, says, "Do what thou wilt." Sergeant Pepper's Crowley's at the top left, you know, the sergeant one guy over. So there's some concerns we have in regard to sanctification as well. Yeah, and I, I wanted to say something because we did have someone on the comment section and somebody agreed. Now, we want to bring correction because I'm sorry 
but this is just wrong. Uh, she said that we misquoted Lori. So we also have a quote that you quoted in that very Greg Lori sugarcoats the history of rock. And I want to quote this for her so she can understand. What was she saying that we misquoted? That uh, Lori doesn't believe what you were saying, uh, and that he. Oh, she just saw it with her own eyes. Yeah, uh, mm, she said bad. you were misquoting him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read also so we can get some further uh, clear uh, clear. Clarification. Clarification. Uh, and here's what he said in his book, Giving God Your Best. Quote, the requirements of discipleship are discipleship are different than the requirements of salvation. To be a Christian, you need to believe in him who God has sent, and then you will receive eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a gift to be a disciple. Uh, it is a gift. To be a disciple is to take up the cross daily and follow him, marking his, uh, his will, your will. It is a commitment. So yes, very clearly, whether you're watching video or you are listening to that quote, watching the video, he yeah. said, it's very clear. These are two separate things. It's almost a secondary portion of yeah. salvation. And Joe, I'm not just saying this. This is some. This is a doctrine that is held by plenty of people, and Greg oh, is yeah. teaching this. It's not wondering, it. oh, we're, was it just talking about the disciples back then that were not Christians, and now they're disciples? This is a doctrine that is taught. It is a dangerous doctrine. It's not only not found in Scripture, as Joe quoted in 1 John 1, the message that John heard from Jesus, the one that previously, in that letter, he says, they saw, they heard, they touched. Amen. It's not like, oh, I wonder where I got this message. It's from some you know angel or something. No, no, no. This is from John saying, we saw, we heard, we touched. And what was the message? That God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If anyone says that they know him, and yet walk in darkness, they lie and do not practice the truth. Yeah. So this is this is very, very important for us to understand this. It's not saying, as Joe already mentioned, and this is this will segue into our, I know what you're going to talk about uh, next as well, because one of the important things is understanding salvation and sanctification. And what Joe had already said is, hey, it's not, oh, that you're this awesome disciple and immediately all the sin you're 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 chipped away at and all the stuff the, all the problems all the the reaping that you've done you've sown to the flesh you've reaped corruption but now it's gone it's gone in the sense that your sins are bought and paid for but there are things in our lives that we begin that process of sanctification god begins it yeah. in us that starts at the point of salvation and begins and through god's word sanctify them in thy truth thy word is truth and through the holy spirit God begins to sanctify us. And Joe, Amen. that seems to be a thing that was missing in this film, uh, that sanctification process as well. Right, especially when you know the, the history. And as I said, it's uh, hard to parse because there's a Calvary Chapel pastors that would agree with what we're saying on discipleship, a lot of them. Uh, and others would disagree who've been bamboozled by Zane Hodges and other people in the free grace movement. But it's interesting because uh, as a evangelist, you know, I made it real clear when I've We've led many, many people to Christ when I've done They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll and preached at a lot of churches through the years. And we don't to preach the easy believers. And man, you truly got to turn and follow Christ, you know. And by the way, it's not optional, okay. In fact, look, so I'm going to read some words from Jesus. And he makes it very clear because some say, oh, it has nothing to do with the salvation of your soul. You, you know, you'll, you'll, you, you wouldn't lose your soul if you just reject Jesus as your Lord and refuse to follow him and just accept Christ. Well, listen to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone who gained, to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus makes it very clear. We're talking about salvation. If you don't say, Jesus, you're going to be first in my life. And you gave yourself for me, praise you, and I'm going to put my faith in you. True faith follows Christ. And when you truly follow Christ, the Bible says another verse, man, there's, there's all over the scripture. Galatians 5, 24. Yeah, I mean, you take up your cross, right? Matthew or Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Right here in Matthew chapter uh, 16 as well. We take up our crosses daily. We follow him. And by the way, that's what true Christians do. How do I know that? Because not only what Je- with what Jesus says here and in Luke 9, 23, but because Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, after he warned about those who live according to the flesh will not inherit God's kingdom, he says in Galatians 5, 24, he says, and all those who belong to Christ, those who truly belong to Christ, Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. That means that they've taken up their crosses, everybody who belongs to Christ, and have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. Now, is there more crucifying that needs to go on? Is any of us perfect yet? No, we're all at different stages in our growth, but the Bible talks about how we are growing in grace. We're moving from glory to glory. But if you're not growing, you're either going the wrong way, and Jesus says the branch that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off and thrown in the fire and burn. Uh, John 15, 6. Those are things that we don't want to put little pieces of paper over and hide in our Bibles. We want to say, we want to fear God and love God and follow him in faith. And what we speak to is the truth from God's word. And uh, and again, uh, again, we're not saying that the whole Jesus revolution, a lot of people that came out of the Jesus revolution believe exactly what we're saying, are repentant Christians. And they see the error that has also been preached the years. And many of those have stood against those false teachings that say you can be a disciple, but it's optional. You really don't have to follow Jesus as your Lord. Yeah, and this stuff is so dangerous. And, and I... And I I know that's what we, I, th- I think as, as a ministry, we hope to convey so clearly. And it's sad because, you know, what I see, and sadly I even see it in the comments, is something that I do believe, Joe, and I think when it comes to this movie and when it comes to the movement that was happening in the 70s, when it comes to listening, the debate with Wilkerson and the hippies there, and I know we're going to get into this more on in, in future series, but this idea that people come and and we say, hey man, you really do need to turn from your life of sin, and you got to stop using drugs, you got to stop doing these things, you got to stop sleeping around, and and then you get the comments, and we got them on our own feed. Well, we all sin, Joe. What are you talking about? You sin today, so therefore, what what does it matter if this person, that person, guys? I was in a Bible study as a newer believer, and there was somebody that was not from our fellowship there, and this man told us at the Bible study, yeah, we go to this church, and my wife is now bringing her girlfriend to church, and you know what? They said, well, our friends told us, well, we all sin. So, we. I mean, it's, guys, 1 Corinthians 6, who is it written to? It's written to believers. The That's warning right. in first chapter, in the chapter 5 is saying that brothers should not, what, sue other brothers, right? And then all of a sudden in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told not to be deceived, neither liars, nor fornicators, nor adulterers, nor drunkards. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God, or homosexuals, so forth, will inherit the kingdom of God. Why are we told not to be deceived? Because the church will be deceived on this issue. And it's being deceived on this issue. You know, if you're, so if you're living a life of rebellion to God and you're just, just no, I'm not going to follow the Lord, but I'm a Christian, that's so incongruent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Chapter 15 of Luke, verse 3. Verse 5, you repeat it. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said that the axe of the tree is already laid to the root of the tree. And every he said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning true repentance it is not just a change of mind and change of heart where you accept a gift. Jesus said, Paul said uh, as well, bring forth work in, works in keeping with repentance. They prove your repentance. We don't work to repent, but that's an evidence that we've truly turned to the Lord in our hearts. And he's first. And that's when Jesus, when John said, 
uh, bring forth fruit and keep it with repentance. Then he went on to say that the, the acts are related to the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear fruit, we throw it in the fire and burn. Now, if you're saying, hey, I'm following Jesus, but I'm struggling, well, keep following Jesus, keep your eyes on him, and he'll continue to sanctify you as you seek him in faith. But I hate to leave anybody in our audience that knows this ministry uh, to make them think that, hey, you can be you know, cheating on your wife and you could be robbing your boss and you could be uh, getting drunk and, and, and doing meth and heroin and everything else. You can be beating people up and, and, and hurting people and murdering people and you're still good. And it's like, well, you know, how much, you know, uh, this is kind of reminds me of the Greg Wilkerson when he's in the background of the movie because that's the discussion they had. They're like, Greg, they're, they're like, uh, Wilkerson, well, you, I'm sure you sin, Dave Wilkerson. I'm yep. sure you've sinned at times. They're saying that to justify doing LSD and acid and open, which the Bible says is pharmakeia, sorcery. And in Revelation 21.8, it says all those who practice sorcery, pharmakeia, hallucinogenic drugs, illicit drugs, they go to the lake of fire. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, they those that practice pharmacia don't enter the holy city. So David Wilkerson was right to say, you need to repent because we care for souls. And if you're involved in doing, you know, a pharmacia and ayahuasca and those kinds of things and, and, and doing meth and so forth, you have to repent, man. We love you. That's why we plead with you. And you know what? Guess what? The fruit of teaching like that, which we've quoted Greg, we've showed him, is people that think they can just continue in rebellion to God. It breaks our hearts. You say, well, I'm not in rebellion to God. I'm, I struggle with sin sometimes, but I'm following. I'm not in rebellion. Well, we all struggle with sin. We're not talking about you then. But if you're not, if you're not, if you're, if you're like, no, I'm just going to live a life of rebellion and call myself a Christian, that's not true Christianity because the Bible says very clearly, I quoted already, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, brothers and sisters. So we need to get this. It's very, very important. It is important. And that will probably be, you know, outside of, at what we're getting into next, uh, one of the most well, let's talk about the no things. talk rule, and because I talked about sanctification a little bit, yeah, and, and because no, that I has think to that's do with important. discipleship. No, yeah. I, I think that's really important. And, and Joe, we we just had a, an elders meeting at our, our fellowship the other day, and Joe brought this. I had never heard about this, by the way. Uh, and Joe Joe brought this up because you know when uh, the church was started, you were you know you had an associate pastor, and you're reading literature, uh, you know, just like anybody else, you know, like hey, what are people saying about that? And you mentioned something that you read that really did bother you. In fact, you used it uh, <laughs> juxtaposed to show this is not how things work around here. Let's not do this. And and maybe that points to some of the problems you might find. Actually. Yeah, with uh, uh, Brother Steve Aguilar, he's been my associate pastor, uh, co-pastor with me for, wow, over 20 years now. He's done a, a wonderful job. And uh, I was letting him know that when every any if leadership it's always been uh, amongst the elders. You mean elder? You're not going to counsel women ever alone. You're not going to hang out with women alone. Uh, you know that's why I made my wife my secretary. My main office is in my home. You know because we want to safeguard the fellowship and we want to make sure we're able to feed the sheep and be good examples. But I also let Steve know. I said uh, as leaders we need to hold each other accountable. You know, and I go if the pastor ever falls in sin, if I fall in sin, man, you need to give me a swift loving kick from Jesus. I mean I'm paraphrasing, but I encourage him. I can't remember the exact discussion, but I warned him that. Calvary Chapel, they published a book. It was t- published by uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College, Twin Peaks, and uh, Calvary Chapel money was used to publish it. It was given to a bunch of the associate pastors, which basically said the associate pastors, it, it was called, you know, it's come to be called the no talk rule. And if the pastor falls into adultery, uh, wicked sin, the most perverse kinds of things, even, that the associate pastor is not supposed to say anything to anybody and is supposed to just leave the church and not even tell his wife why he's leaving. And not hold that guy accountable, you know. 
and of course he could he could he could call up Chuck or or uh, Mr. Wong or what have you. And I'm like, man, when you have 500 or 1,000 churches, you know, it's hard enough. We we have just a small association of churches that have come out of Blessed Open live stream groups, and that's hard enough for us to, we can't even, we're not there. So you have the associate pastor leave, and then he doesn't check these things. And that's why online, and this is a, a glaring thing, I hope that Calvary Chapel's address and change, because there's all kinds of people online. There's full-blown, you know, websites dedicated to people that are, have been abused, and the leadership hasn't been held accountable. And a lot of times what, what happens, I mean, Bob Coy, pastor of Fort Lauderdale Calvary Chapel, I mean, 20, 25,000 people, biggest church in Florida. I mean, they'd rent the Miami Dolphins Stadium to do the resurrection services, the NFL football team, so big. But he was a serial adulterer, you know, and he was having sex with several women and it finally came out. But guess what? If you speak against the pastor and you out him, that's considered gossip. Uh, so it really what it does is almost a, a, a cult-like, cult-like mentality. And I don't consider Calvary Chapel a cult. I believe there's a lot of solid, as I've already made very clear, a lot of great Calvary Cha- men of God there at Calvary Chapel. But I think it's those men of God that would be the ones that would say, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. We should not be allowing this. And some Calvary pastors have come against that. Many won't even use that book anymore. But it was written by a Taylor. And uh, it's, it's, it's called uh, Larry Taylor. It's called The Ministry of the Asso- Assisting Pastor, published by Calvary Chapel. Things I learned from my pastor, he was assistant to uh, Chuck Smith, and he writes this, if there are things wrong, take it to the Lord in prayer. Tell absolutely no one, including your spouse. Really? I mean, what if the pastor is committing serial adultery? You know, what if he's acknowledged pedophilia to you and says he can't stop? Or what if he's embezzling money? Or what if he is, you know, any number of wicked things? Well, he says, but uh, you say... What do you do if there are real problems, like some of the things I just mentioned? Pray about them and forget them. If that doesn't work, take your concerns directly and only to the pastor himself and share with him honestly. If that doesn't work, resign and move on. Wow. Under no circumstances should you ever say anything negative about the pastor or the ministry to anyone, even after you've quit. Wow. In a situation where something in the church is so completely wrong. Wow. Uh, that the sheep in the body are in spiritual danger, then say nothing to anybody. Resign and move on. Wow. And, you know, so this blows me away. He says, defend the pastor and the ministry from all negative talk. Therefore, defend the ministry when you hear anything even slightly negative about the pastor or about the ministry. Intervene. Correct it. Stop it. Step into the conversation and, and boldly rebuke the gossip, replacing it with that which is lovely, positive, and of good report. Well, what if it's not gossip, though? Now, I take, I'm very, yeah, amen, because, you know, it says not to bring a rebuke against a, a, an elder without two or three witnesses. So if there's gossip in the church, and, and Satan will use that, too, in a church, and none of us should ever be involved in that, absolutely not. But guess what? When we're talking about him knowing something that's even legitimate, where the pastor's in rebellion to God, maybe he's denying essential Christian doctrine. Don't say a word, you know? And this is heartbreaking because guess what? The scriptures say, uh, you know, those who labor among you, the pastors that labor among you and teach, it says they're to be blessed, you know, uh, not to muzzle the ox and so forth. But it says if they sin uh, and there's two or three witnesses, it says let them be rebuked before everyone. Well, this circumvents that. This You can't even do a Matthew 18. You can't even say, Pastor, you're in rebellion to God. I mean, you're sleeping with your secretary, you know, and you're in rebellion to God. And he goes, well, I'm, going to, I'm the senior pastor. You know what's been, you know what Larry wrote, associate pastors, you can't say a word, you got to leave. No, the Bible says bring one or two with you. 
If he doesn't repent, then maybe for the church. If he doesn't hear the church, then he's to be excommunicated. That, by the way, that applies more to pastors, I believe, than anyone. So I told, you're right, I told Steve uh, long ago uh, that, hey, Steve, if anything, any of us leaders, including myself for sure, myself first and foremost, fall into sin, we need to be rebuked and held accountable. And uh, it says that you rebuke before all, that others may fear. Well, what's happened is the church doesn't fear the Lord anymore. That's why sin runs amok, and that's why all kinds of pastors are abusing the sheep and becoming predators. So these kinds of doctrines, these are some misgivings, and we're just shooting straight because right now, uh, this became almost, you know, some th- this movie became a centerpiece where there's some white elephants in the room. And one of those white elephants, the biggest one is Lonnie Frisbee because throughout a lot of his so-called ministry, he was an unrepentant homosexual that died of AIDS. And he's like the main star of the movie along with Greg Laurie. And that's, that's been, he's been written out of the history of Calvary Chapel and also out of the Vineyard which is a movement that he was the catalyst of starting the explosion of signs and wonders among them, which we'll get into later. Yeah, and, you know, one of the uh, films, and it's the one you see um, above Joe's head, which is The Submerging Church, one of the things you actually documented in that very film was uh, that some of the Calvary Chapel movement, you know, that there were some this, there was some ecumenism going on. And uh, I know we're going to be talking a little bit about, and, and it is really important we understand Greg Laurie and... We're not once again. I, 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 you know, I'm trying to make sure that those maybe that came on later. We're not saying every Calvary Chapel. We're specifically dealing with great glory in a lot of this. Yeah, we praise the Lord for many of the Calvary many, chapels yeah. that in the past that fear God and teach the Word. Yeah, Amen. And so we want to we want to be very very clear with that. And when it comes to this specifically and looking at great glory and some of those associations, there was something very interesting that happened that a lot of people may not know even behind the scenes. Uh, when it comes to the Submerging Church, when you actually were quoting from Chuck Smith's brother's book, but you also mentioned a time where Chuck Smith is pictured next to Greg Laurie and none other than Rick Warren, the false teacher from the Purpose Driven Movement or the leader of that movement. And so you mentioned that in the the documentary, and, and I know you actually received a phone call. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talked a couple times about it, and he called me, and it was a great talk. Wait, who called you? Uh, Paul Smith, Chuck yeah. Smith's brother, yeah. called me, and he said he loved the Submerging Church video, and he really appreciated it, and he said he's having a hard time in the Calvary Chapel, that he's on his way out because he's standing against error. And a lot of people know that the Calvary Chapel has been split between the older churches that followed more of Chuck's doctrines, and not everything was good, as we've just seen right there with regard to not the no-talk rule, but a lot of the old-timers stood by, you know, inerrancy of the scripture and so forth. And, and, uh, and you know, it's parsed. It's really hard because I'm not going to get into that whole debate between the, the division and the Calvary Chapel between the two segments. But I'm going to say this is that uh, he said he was on the way out and that he was being forced out. And he said, Joe, I just want to let you know I love the video of the Submerging Church. And he goes, but I just want to let you know because you have a picture in there with uh, Chuck. And uh, one, I think one of the pictures in the Submerging Church we have is Chuck and Greg and, uh, and, and Rick Warren uh, all looking at the camera. And he said, I want to let you know uh, just something that went on behind the scenes is at that conference, at that at that crusade, uh, my brother Chuck said that he was invited by Greg to speak at the very beginning or say the prayer, the opening prayer. And that that Greg went up to him and said, Chuck, I, I decided I've, I changed my mind. I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to have Rick Warren say the opening prayer instead. And he brought Rick Warren there. Now, there's some very serious problems with Rick Warren, not only with what's going on with the, in the SBC right now, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, but with regard to the whole coming New World Order and the coming Antichrist system and a bunch of other junk 
endorsing emergence and who brought in a lot of the mysticism and so forth. We document so much of that. If you haven't seen this emerging church, uh, you need to check that out. But he said, Joe, I just want to let you know that he was he was caught off guard. And then he was pictured that he didn't realize that was going to go on with Rick Warren. And then he's there with Rick Warren. He goes, if you look at him, he looks like a deer in the headlights. Chuck said to me, his brother, Paul, and Paul's told me, he said, Chuck said he didn't want to be, be there. He felt so uncomfortable. That's why he looks like a deer in the headlights. And my heart broke because I knew, I mean, I uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I'd been in their bookstore. And I don't know if they accept him later, but they wouldn't carry Rick Warren's purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church. I don't know if they changed their views on that uh, before or after Chuck was there. But he said he was being forced out of the, his own brother's Calvary Chapel movement at the time and uh, because of the new blood that was there. And it was very, very heartbreaking. So the associations, Rick, Rick Warren literally teaches that uh, he says, and, and we don't have time to quote him and everything, and I've done this before. You can look at stuff in, for instance, this Emerging Church video, you'll see the documentation. But he talks about if you look at Bible prophecy, you're studying what the Bible talks about. Where, by the way, First Peter or Second Peter chapter 2 talks about how we do well to look in the Bible prophecy and it's the light shining in a dark place and we're supposed to continue to look at Bible prophecy until the day of Christ comes. And Rick Warren says, it's a distraction from the devil. Not to look at Bible prophecy because it's a distraction from the devil and you'll be like Lot, you know, looking, well, I'm like, really? You'll be like Lot who looked back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. I'm trying to scare you not looking at what the word says about the future. I'm like, wait a minute, Lot looked back, not forward. And and Jesus gave Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke chapter uh, uh 24, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, uh, the Olivet Discourse is what I'm referencing there, also Matthew 25, Revelation, 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the end times. End times are talked about everywhere, the book of Daniel, right? And uh, and that's what he taught, but you know what? He doesn't want you, Rick Warren doesn't want you looking at what the Bible says about the future, because he has pushed aside what God's word says about the coming Antichrist and everything, and said he's posited his stool, which he was just at Davos preaching. Uh, for many years, he's preached this at Davos, we have a video saying this, that, hey, the kingdom, uh, that, guess what? We need a, a, lay, a stool needs three legs. The stool won't stand if it has only two legs. So what we need to bring about to bring this world peace, the Bible says when they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them. He says what we need is three legs of stool. We need to unite government. And he's saying this from Davos at the UN meeting. He says, I'm always telling these guys, we need you government we, with business, with religion. And he says, we get together with the rabbis and the, the imams, the Muslim imams and the Christian pastors, and we can use the churches as distributing centers for this coming, uh, this coming governing body uh, working together. And I'm like, dude, this isn't the Bible. This is the system of the Antichrist in the end days. And so uh, Greg Laurie, uh, I don't know his heart, but I know there's an incredible lack of discernment there to, to say the very best. Yeah, and I, I'm going to try to get through these a little quicker because I know we're way past our time already. But there, one of the things in the film that, that bothered me probably the most was the fact, and and I don't know if this is a true story. I, I, I have no idea, but I, I have to look into it deeper. But either way, if you watch the film, the first opportunity that Greg Laurie actually gets to teach is at a church that is Father Malone's house. That's what they call it, Father Malone's church. And Greg Laurie preaches there. And in fact, he preaches there to the youth. And then afterwards, he's told that they're going to get someone else to do the job. And at the end of the movie, like the the end of the arc of the film and, and everything, Chuck Smith is there and he hands him a keys to his new church, which is in Riverside, which is the church that he now pastors today, which is Harvest. And it all stems from him not standing up for him 
at what seemingly, if you're watching the film, I don't know how you could get any other opinion than that is a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And Greg Glory gets his start teaching at a Catholic church. And, and Joe, I, I want to play a clip here in a second because one of the things that really struck me as we look at some of the associations, as you talked about Rick Warren, and remember, when we talk about Catholicism, Rick Warren, he said the Pope, Pope Francis, is our Pope. That means the Protestants Pope, and we really have more that we should agree on, and all of this stuff, yeah. all of this nonsense, especially when you understand some of his eschatological beliefs, you really start to see how that's very dangerous. Yeah. But you see this kind of thing. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. He's doing that. He's had Mel Gibson speak at Harvest Crusade. This is a crusade. They're supposed to be preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel at. You have Mel Gibson there teaching at Harvest, telling about his new movie. You have another situation now where he hires none other than Jonathan Rumi, mm-hmm. who is a Catholic mystic. Yeah, Chat- and channeling. If you don't believe me that Jonathan Rumi, who he also, by the way, had speak at Harvest Crusade in 2022... Jonathan Rumi himself, when it came to this role, and Joe, we've we've warned about and shown and exposed and had them admit it as well, while even calling it a myth when it comes to Bethel and their grave soaking. But tell me, what is this that Jonathan Rumi, the same guy who's playing Jesus in The Chosen, what is he doing he's when playing, you hear he's this clip? Frisbee, if you haven't seen the movie. And he, he plays, plays Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee. Frisbee. And this is who... Which makes sense because they're both mystics. This is who Greg Glory decided that he wanted to play Lonnie Frisbee. Before I started work, I went over to Christ Cathedral and uh, I, I sat by his grave and I prayed a rosary with him. Oh, he didn't realize he's buried there too. He's, oh yeah, he's buried there. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to have to go take a look at that. Yeah, it's 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 powerful. In fact... I sat down and I prayed with him. Um, the, the, the space just to his right is empty, so I got to sit down. Or lie. at one point, I even lied down because I just thought it would be kind of interesting to try to connect in some way. That's probably more information than you need or may even want to publish. But that said, uh, I, you know, I, it's the truth. And so I finished praying with him, and I said, Lonnie, I want to honor you with this film. And I really want to, um, to 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 bring justice and and you know the testament to the gifts of God's grace and and powers that you you know displayed while you were on this earth. And so, if this is a good idea that I do this film, have somebody give me a sign. Give me a sign. Have God give me a sign. Mm-hmm. And the minute the words left my mouth, behind me there was a door open to the cathedral. And this giant chord rang out for about five seconds, and then from started. the organ. From the organ. Wow! I heard that, and I was like, "Okay, thanks for that." <laughs> All right, Joe. That is necromancy. I don't know how I could attribute anything other than that. He spoke with Lonnie. He laid down next to his grave to find a better connection to him. Which, if he really believed he was a believer, those are just bones. Like, ultimately, and they probably pretty well decayed by now after, sadly enough, he he's died of AIDS. He's talking to Lonnie. He's he talking to Lonnie, play, praying a rosary, and then all of a sudden the Witch of Endor shows. I'm sorry, the, 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 yeah. the door's open and a bell rings. I mean, this is craziness. Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. And, 
it's kind of a trip because uh, he's talking about Lonnie, and we're going to be discussing Lonnie the next show. I mean, the whole thing is going to be mostly on Lonnie Frisbee and how he was into the occult and brought a lot of that into this his professed Christian faith. It was He was into ego, and it was about him wanting to do signs and wonders, but with occult powers, which we're going to be able to document uh, that that what he was what that he was manipulating, and I, well, I'm tempted to say things right now because there's just such a blow mind, but I'm not going to. But I'll say this, Chad, is that a man wrote a book by the name of Steve Berger, who wrote about necromancy and how his son had contacted him, who had deceased, and he was communicating with him. That's what the whole book's about. Well, Greg Laurie endorsed that book as well. Uh, also, Roma Downey, you know, you know, uh, exactly what, right, fact, exactly you know, where I'm let's, going. Let's talk, about, let's talk about Roma. One hundred percent, exactly. You're right in line where I, where I was going here because. Here is an endorsement from Greg Laurie. Congrats to Real Roma Downey on the release of her new book, Box of Butterflies. And that's not the only thing he did. In fact, there's another post on his on his Facebook page. I was asked by Roma Downey to do some special videos for her upcoming yeah, major fi- feature film, Ben-Hur. And remember, not only did Roma Downey do do Ben-Hur, but she was also involved in the Bible series yeah. as well. I mean, you got the chosen, the Bible series, and a bunch of mystical stuff going on. Okay, understand. But Roma they don't know what Roma Downey is. That's what I want you to do. New Ager. Yeah, that's you know? that's what I and want. I know we got to move on because we're getting a little late here. But this is important stuff. She's a New Ager. She talks about reading books by Eckhart Tolle, who's on Oprah Winfrey in the past, and he's a German mystic who channels he channels demons, guys, and she promotes these guys. And and you know, she's into. Uh, she actually was reading the Rosary. She does a Rosary reading on a CD, and this is, if people want to check it out, they could just type in some names even, but uh, she 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 basically gets into, for instance, Practical Praying is the name of a of a, a, a show by uh, John Edward, and she's on the CD, that's the name of the CD, I should say, and she's there praying the rosary, and this guy, Chad, it's not that he's there just praying the rosary, he's a new age channeler, he channels spirits. In fact, she went on the show, so, and he channeled supposedly was a demon if he got in touch with anyone, not not her mother, but Roma's mother. And this is so unbiblical. And what's happening right now, we're seeing him move into the kind of it's kind of trippy to me because it was Lonnie, who according to Lonnie Frisbee, is is Greg Laurie was does not portrayed this way in the movie. And I don't totally trust Frisbee either because he's he's a charlatan we'll see next time. But Greg was supposedly mocking him. And then he hit him with the Holy Spirit, knocked him on the ground, and Greg started speaking in tongues. And that's how he got converted, supposedly. Well, that's not how you get converted, folks. And Lonnie talked about how there were kids mocking him, other hippies, and were coming. To, and then he threw the Holy Spirit at them in some way or got the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. They fell down, and they were speaking in tongues. You don't see, read anything about that in the Bible. That's so unscriptural. You have to have a repentant heart. Uh, you have to submit to Christ to turn to him uh, to receive the gift of salvation. And uh, then you receive the fruit of salvation, and God may or may not give you one gift or another. That's up to the Lord. No, and I, I want to read this this quote from her bef- before we, we we get into the ugly, even though it's been pretty ugly. And, and the ugly is just going to be a few minutes because it's going to be segue to the next show. And I also wanted to point out, guys, the reason why we're, we're pointing this out about Great Glory is because if you haven't seen the film, as we said, most of the film, and we point out Jonathan Rumi, this is the guy playing Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee has his own problems that will deal with in You got a guy contacting spirits that's playing one of the main roles in the movie. I mean, it's hard to talk about these things. I mean, I wasn't. I've been. I've had tears over it, prayerful because Chad. It's really hard to deal with, but it's like because so many people are going to come up thinking this is great, but we have to say no. This isn't all great. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we realize that you can't 
broad brush the whole the, the Jesus revolution in the midst of saying there's some problems here. I believe there's some real sincere people, a ton of them that came out of that movement that truly got converted and have led many people to Christ as well. So No, amen. And and the reason why we want to make sure you guys understand this because if this whole story is put together by Greg Laurie and you see the ecumenical little fingerprints and then you see him, his first preaching opportunity is at a Catholic church at the very least that's what you get from watching the film about Father Malone there. And then, as as we're mentioning, promoting Roma Downey, being friends with her, pictures of them together, helping her out with Ben-Hur, whatever it may be. And I want you to read, the, I'm going to read this quote, John. I know you already mentioned Roma Downey, but people are like, who is that? Well, let me just quote. This is from First for Women magazine from 2014. My kids go to school about a 40-minute drive away. I'm open to the group's opinion about what we listen to on the way there. On the way back, I get my own selections. Books on tape by Eckhart Tolle, Tony Robbins, and others. My husband says, I'm so self-realized, I'm practically levitating. levitating yep, I've seen that. These are, guys, these are the high, people behind this stuff. Ben-Hur, the Bible, they think they're pushing this stuff. It's New Age mumbo-gumbo. We have Jonathan Rumi basically summoning spirits, thinking he is at least. And that's the guy playing Jesus and the Chosen. That's the guy playing... Lonnie Frisbee, all this stuff. And Joe, we haven't even gotten into, and we're not going to get into in this episode, and we're almost an hour and a half in. Yeah. And we have not even gotten into the ugly, the, the ugliness ugly. yeah. of the ecumenism. Right. Uh, we haven't even gotten into the ugly of the good, the bad, and the ugly right. when it comes to this, because it is it does get so much worse, Joe. But why leave it also? Let, let's give some warning, but let's also leave it on a good note for those um, well, as well. Well, it's funny you said that because you don't, you don't see what I've written in my notes. No, and, I do not. And I've literally, uh, and, and we're going to get in next time, Lonnie Frisbee, who brought so many of those people to what became Calvary Chapel. At the time, Chuck Smith had about 80, 90 people going there, and then it blew up. And I do believe, and I just want you to understand this, we're not seeing the whole Calvary Chapel movement. See, John MacArthur and some of these guys will say, oh, everything that happened, you know, that, that whole thing there, that's all evil because look at what was going on and so forth. And, and no, what I see is I see Lonnie Frisbee uh, trying to take make it his own movement with signs and wonders, and it didn't work because Chuck Smith realized, wait a minute, there's all these young people here. And I believe Chuck was a sincere man, and they need Jesus. He was preaching the word. He started preaching the word to them. What Satan meant for evil through, through Frisbee, God began to uh, share the word uh, through Chuck, and Chuck preached through the scripture. Chuck was a very good teacher. I've not agreed with him 100%, but he wouldn't agree with me, you know, let the Lord decide our, our, what's the proper interpretation in the end, right? We seek him, we want to rightly represent him, but Chuck was a, was tried to be very faithful to scripture and wanted people not to be all caught up in signs and wonders, but in God's word, and that's why Lonnie ended up ultimately moving on. Now, Chuck brought him back for a while, he was doing the afterglow services with the signs and wonders in Calvary Chapel in the back rooms for a while, and that didn't work out. And then, you know, went to Africa for a couple years with, with the Calvary Chapel. And then uh, uh, later he ends up going to Vineyard. But Calvary Chapel wasn't going to allow him to make this whole movement to define Calvary Chapel. And when he goes to Wimber, he found his man. And John Wimber went for it, hook, line, and sinker with the signs and wonders. And the result of that ended up being the whole NAR movement right now that came out of his teachings uh, uh, Wimber's teachings and so forth, the the barking like dogs, laughing like hyenas, roaring like lions in the name of Jesus, and a lot of mysticism. And we're going to show you Lottie Frisbee basically commanding the Holy Spirit to fall on people. That's not what goes, that's not true revival. That's not how the Holy Spirit works, but that's what happens in the occult. That's what happens in mysticism. There's a false revival going on now. It's really crazy when you see the, the role that he played. So I believe God shut that down, what he was trying to do there. And then Chuck Smith was leading a lot of those people to truly 
find Christ, to know Christ. And Chuck was discipling many of these people. So I want to emphasize that. There was a lot of discipleship that was going on in the Calvary Chapel movement. Many people were truly following Jesus, uh, despite what Greg ended up teaching later. And But guess what? I will probably close with this, is the gospel is still preached. Many people got saved. Many people will see this movie. And even if uh, some people have wrong motives in making this and make it more about themselves, or I don't know all their motives, God knows, Jesus is shared as the only way. He's the one that he shared as one that died for our sins. The word repentance is used a couple times in the book, and you realize that there are people truly being transformed and leaving their old life behind. And when the Jesus of the Scripture is preached and uh, what he did for us on the cross is preached, even if people have wrong motives, listen to what Paul said in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Uh, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 16 the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter, he says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from uh, false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, this wasn't kind of a broad thing where it doesn't matter who preaches what, because he's talking about the true gospel being preached. So when people hear the true gospel, even if people have bad motives, Paul's praising God that the, the gospel is being preached because Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God to salvation of the Jew first and also the Greek. Amen? So there's the gospel that saves and you don't need to be slain in the spirit and speak in tongues to be saved. In fact, we need to make sure we're embracing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and he's first. So I want to praise God that the gospel is getting out still. And a lot of people came in contact with the gospel and the Jesus movement. Kids were so hungry at that time around the country because the Beatles were saying, we're more popular than Jesus right now. And a lot of young people were like, wait a minute, they're finding the drugs were a dead end. And many of them were looking for answers. And the Holy Spirit drew many people to Christ. But there were sincere people that he used. And there were insincere people that were trying to uh, basically subjugate those people to themselves. It's hard to parse, but you can't just broad brush it one way as all good. That's wrong. Oh, Frisbee must have been used of God. We're all bad. Oh, there was no man of God in that movement. That would be an error. You have to do the hard work sometimes and pray through these things to have discernment. Hey, man, guys. And I just want to thank you, you know, just in the last couple minutes here. I'm, I'm, I know we got asked uh, on a number of different posts, hey, can you guys go longer? Uh, but uh, <laughs> but we, de- we definitely, uh, that's a blessing to hear as well. Some people like shorter videos. Some people like longer. But we try to do it all. Uh, Tommy's been making shorts, too. If you guys aren't following on Instagram, Make sure you check us out, Good Fight Ministries, on Instagram as well. We try to get on everything any way we can get the gospel. But we wanted to thank you guys. We really want to thank those on patreon.com slash goodfight. Uh, you guys have been such a blessing over the last hey, couple man, of years. we love you guys. Being able to, to add that to the ministry, add Tommy full-time, add Josh full-time, and even having Tony full-time while living in Tennessee. You guys who have been in the comments section have seen Tony on there a lot from his own personal account. We so, miss you, Tony. Yeah, he lets me uh, comment from, from the Good Fight one while we're on here. We haven't done a live in a long t- It feels no. like not a long time. It's, I think it's only been a month, but uh, we're going to try to do a couple more because, guys, we do want to advertise a little bit to you guys. Not only, Joe, you're, you're working on uh, the third part of the Marvel series, Marvel and DC's War on God, and you guys can check all that stuff out we're at Marvel They D- sold their souls for rock and roll. MarvelDCExposed.com and you can also check out what we're working on uh, in the future. We are, as Joe mentioned already, we are working on an updated version for They Sold Their and Souls for Rock and Roll. we won't give away that title either. That is not being given away just, just yet. And also, guys, we, we're doing these shows. We're 
Tommy has been making a bunch of shorts for us that have been doing really well and getting out the word in little minute fashions. We're trying to get at least two episodes out to you guys every week, except for when we do these. And please, please pray. And 5.11 every week. Uh, and 5.11 news every week. Uh, Josh messages, works really hard. Sundays. Check out the messages, the sermons. Fire for the word. And Josh works really hard, I know, on, on 5.11 news uh, every time. But we also wanted to let you guys know uh, that we are working on, and if you guys are late to this episode or maybe maybe you'll rewatch it, uh, please do. There's a lot of information you guys got. But what we are working on now is an entire series on the new apostolic reformation. And so Kingdom Dominionism. This Kingdom will now. be a springboard into that because of the connections, as Joe mentioned. With Lonnie So, so yeah. I wanted to leave you guys with that. I know uh, for Joe and myself and everybody at the Good Fight Ministries team, thank you guys so much. Make sure you guys like and subscribe as well. And if you listen to this via podcast, make sure you guys leave a, a nice review. We want to get these messages out as much as possible. Share this with people. We love you guys. Press on in Jesus. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.